Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The 2020 Olympics have officially been postponed until sometime next year. This is the first time in the modern era that the games have been impacted by anything other than war. Now comes the big problems, handling the logistics of moving everything, all the money that has been poured into the game so far. And what happens to the athletes who still need to stay in tip-top shape for the games? For more on how coronavirus has impacted the biggest sporting event so far, we'll speak to David Mack, editor at BuzzFeed News. The Olympics, as you said, were looming in July, and it just did seem like there was no way that this could possibly go ahead. Canada and Australia be the first to announce that they won't go send their athletes to Tokyo because they were worried about the uh, threat posed by the coronavirus. But up until now, the IOC and the Japanese Olympic Ministry had been sort of adamant that this was going to go ahead. They weren't even at least publicly entertaining the idea of changing the games. Just at the beginning of the month, I think the Japanese Olympics minister said it was inconceivable, the idea of the games being cancelled or postponed. But of course, we had Shinzo Abe have a conversation that the Prime Minister of Japan rather have a conversation with the head of the IOC, Thomas Bach, today, and he emerged to announce that, as you said, the games are being put off for about a year, it seems like, as you said, no proper date just yet. But the IOC and the Japanese have agreed that they will be held by next summer at the latest. And of course, that is going to have major repercussions for the international sporting calendar. Now, this is the first time that this has really happened where it's been postponed by anything other than war. Basically, World War One and World War Two impacted the games at that time. And these games will still be called Tokyo 2020, despite happening in 21. There's probably just the simplicity element there of all the branding that's already yeah. been printed and organized for not just the Japanese, but media companies around the world and things like that. So uh, I think probably to save the Japanese a bit of money, I've already spent at least about $26 billion on these games. They're going to let them still call the games 2020. <laughs> You mentioned $26 billion so far that Japan has probably put into this. But it's not just Japan themselves. I know NBC always hosts the Olympics here back home and, and then broadcast all that stuff. So there's a lot of money tied up there. There's a lot of money tied up in advertisements. There's a lot of money tied up in endorsements for athletes themselves that this stuff will have to be put on hold for a year probably. I think the Japanese were expecting $2 billion in tourism revenue to come through on this. So putting this on hold at this crazy time right now is just a huge impact. Of course, Japan has been hit by coronavirus cases like everyone else in the world. So they've got a lot of money to spend on that on their health system at the moment as well. But I think, as you said, it's kind of important when you watch the Olympics and you get caught up in the spectacle and the sport, that, of course, it is a huge money-making machine for the media markets around the world and the sporting, as you said, Think of all the advertisers that are paying to have their brands associated with the Olympics and to use the Olympic rings on things like that. We're going to be seeing a major impact in terms of just sort of chaos uh, on the international media market as they scramble to sort of reschedule things for currently we don't know when, some point in the next year. And in terms of advertising and sponsorship, as you said, NBC had paid, I think, the biggest amount for any broadcaster in the world. And there was discussion before today that potentially the games could be pushed back maybe a few months, maybe held uh, in another country and, you know, in another time. 
But of course, you know, NBC obviously um, would impact the coverage of US football if we said that that was going to happen in the six months. That would conflict with their TV calendar as well. So everything was kind of, the Olympics get planned sort of years and years out. And this is a, we're just a couple of months out now to sort of have to scramble to change everything is going to be a lot of work. That's for sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about the athletes. They're training so that they're at their peak once this is happening. This all kind of throws that for a loop. Now they have to keep this peak training period that they need to be at their best for the games has to be extended a year. These guys who have to make sure that they're staying in peak physical performance now, or at least get back to it in time for the next games, it's going to be a lot of work there. But I think, as you said, the interesting thing as well is just how much sort of chaos this is going to cause on the international sporting calendar as all the federations and associations of athletics and swimming and gymnastics and anything else in between have to try to either work out what's going to happen, not just with the qualifying events for the games, but the things that were scheduled for next year as well. And the tournaments and the soccer tournaments and the basketball tournaments that were scheduled for next year in what was supposed to be a non-games year. It's all going to be up in the air and have to get replanned. David Mack, editor at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. As many continue to shelter in place and practice extreme social distancing, there's a lot of people that are privately mourning special moments in life that have been canceled or postponed. People giving birth at this time are video conferencing to show their new child to the family. Proms and graduations are canceled. And funerals are also being canceled, forcing some to mourn alone. For more on how social distancing may be impacting people's personal lives, we'll speak to Ellen Byron, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. It was stunning to realize how easy it was to find people who were very quietly mourning the loss of some personal milestones. No one was complaining per se because they realized that all of these cancellations are for the greater good, but there is some quiet heartbreak happening. I spoke with a high school senior, one of the captains of her basketball team. Her name was Morgan Ebel, and she had helped her basketball team in Farmington, Minnesota, get into the state championship for the first time in the school's history. And on a Thursday night, she received She said the biggest thrill of her life, which was winning the semifinal. And then Friday morning, the championship final was canceled. So she won't ever feel what that would have been like being in a state championship game with teammates who have been her friends since she was a fourth grader. So that was just a quiet moment of heartbreak for her and her teammates. Another one that was interesting that you mentioned in your article, funerals. Talk about how that one is affecting people. I spoke with a man who lives in the New York area and his father was in hospice care and he and his family were trying to figure out what funeral arrangements made the most sense. His father, he described as a larger than life kind of guy and had tons of friends and was a lifelong New Yorker, knew so many people. And they originally were worried about overflow crowd at the funeral home. And then as alarm grew over the coronavirus in his area, they downsized to a room for just 100. And then they finally realized that they wouldn't be able to hold a gathering. And when they called to cancel and after some painful deliberations, the funeral home told them, oh, we've had to stop offering any services. And so yesterday... 
They were planning to hold a burial for the father just with family members. And rather than gather after the burial for a lunch, they decided to do it virtually. And certainly they hoped to plan a memorial lunch at a later date. But all of that immediate sense of community that you get in the mourning process isn't happening this time around. And they've had to very drastically cancel their plans. And I will say, as I talked to lots of different people and with different moments being disrupted, all of them expressed how complicated it is to figure out how you do feel about this because you realize that there's far bigger tragedies unfolding and that all of this is indeed for the greater good, but yet you do still have some sense of disappointment that plans you thought you had in place were very much disrupted. Another one, pregnancies and births. I have a friend who I think she's due early, mid-April. So she has to give birth in this time right now, practicing social distancing. And how do you operate when your whole family wants to come over and celebrate that new life? Exactly. And you have a very limited moment in time where your baby is a newborn. And so often you want to gather those closest to you around to share some of that and also probably get a little help. And certainly any kind of gatherings are really avoided right now. I did talk to a woman who lives in Miami and she had her first baby on March 10th and she had to rely on a FaceTime call to tell her father about it and also about naming her daughter after her father's mother. And so a moment that would have been quite treasured by both of them in person instead happened over a phone call and plans for a naming ceremony for the daughter and a newborn photo session and as well as some close family coming by to visit. All of those plans have been changed again because of that. And all of these things will eventually take place, but the baby won't be just days old anymore. Ellen Byron, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Finally, for this week, we wanted to take a moment to talk to someone who has recovered from COVID-19. Carl Goldman, he's the owner of KHTS Radio at hometownstation.com. He was one of the passengers of the Diamond Princess cruise ship that docked in Japan. He spent time in quarantine on the ship. Then he came down with the virus. He was transported to Nebraska for treatment. And then after spending some time there, he finally tested negative. Carl Goldman joins us now to talk about how bad his illness was, what it was like to get back home, and the clinical study he signed up for in hopes that it could help other people that come down with COVID-19. Diamond Princess was the first. We were in uh, Yokohama, Japan, quarantined there. 12 of our 14 days of quarantine, the State Department put us on 747 military cargo planes. I had no symptoms when we left the ship. When we got on the plane, I took a nap because it had been an all-nighter to get to the plane. Two hours later, woke up with 103 fever which was really, really strange, but seems to be the common denominator for everyone. They get that quick high fever. Unlike other colds and the flu, I had no headache, no sore throat, no sneezing, no stuffiness, no body aches. And then even with a high fever like that, no chills or sweats that you usually get. And that's what a lot of people say, you know, they're asymptomatic at first or something. And then if it gets very severe, it happens very quickly also. In all of this, throughout this whole thing, because people that don't know too much about it still, we just hear what the symptoms are and everything at its worst, at the worst of this illness that you had. 
how bad did it get? For me, it was not that bad. On a 1 to 10 scale, the fever lasted eight hours till we landed at Travis Air Force Base in Sacramento. Fever was gone by then. I did develop a dry cough. That cough remained with me for many weeks. But other than that, if I wasn't contagious, I would have been at work two days later. Unfortunately, it ended up being a 29-day ordeal with the quarantine. And then in addition to that, the 12 days of princess. So it was well over a month for us to be quarantined. That's amazing. That's a ton of time. And people are going through this whole self-quarantining thing right now. And uh, cities and states are starting to impose restrictions on bars and restaurants and telling people to shelter in place. So it's a very difficult thing that a lot of people have to come up with. But you obviously (laughs) had to go with it right at the beginning. You've been chronicling a lot of what's been going on at hometownstation.com. Thank you for doing that because it just provides a window into what's going on and what really happens when you get sick with this. Just a question, because you are back home now. You were finally tested negative for this. Tell us about that process, about testing negative for this. The procedure protocol for the test is to put a cotton swab deep up each nostril for about five seconds, test that. For a long time, they were also doing it deep down the throat, but found that was not quite as accurate. And then I, in addition, had signed up for a clinical study that they're still doing on me where they've been taking a lot of blood, seeing how the virus or if the virus travels through my blood. They've swabbed everything I've touched from my computer to my iPhone to the toilet seat. They put a device in to collect air samples to see how the virus traveled through the air. And then as additional bonuses, I had a swab under each eyelid and one deep up my rear end. So I took one for the team here. <laughs> well, thank you, Carl. Uh, the eyelid one is the one that creeps me out a little bit. Um, you know, it's funny. I think you should do a poll on your show here to see which people would dread the most, the eyelids oh, or wow. the rear end. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm going to have to do that one. Have the doctors given you any instruction on how to operate now that you're back home? Is the virus completely out of your body? Can you get it again? Have they indicated any of that to you? The virus is completely out of my body. I'm no longer contagious. I'm fine. And I'm also immune to it for many, many, many months. So I can go out if I choose. But however, I've decided to stay quarantined for an additional 14 days just to be not necessarily out there, particularly as things are getting crazier and crazier out there with everyone. But doctors don't know if I'm going to be immune a year from now, five years from now, or perhaps a lifetime, like is true with some ailments. They're not going to know that. They're going to continue to study me. The clinical study I signed up for isn't going to help me, but hopefully it will provide many more answers or speed up the process as they try and unravel the clues to COVID-19. So just to clarify, because I think this is very important, you're immune for many months to come because you beat this quote-unquote particular strain. So if it mutates and it comes back a season from now, slightly different, then there's a possibility you can get that again. Correct. And this clinical study that you're participating in, how long is this going to last for you? I'm told there'll be many months, at least six months. They'll test me here in California and probably do follow-ups for a while because, as we all know, so little is known about the virus. And if I can provide a few answers, then I'm all for it. How was the treatment while you were there at the hospital? And also tell us about the medical workers that you got to know. I, I know you wrote about it a lot 
on your website, but tell us a little about the medical workers and then the, and the treatment that you were going through, despite the symptoms not being sure. that severe. They were my angels there in Omaha, Nebraska, and Nebraska Medicine. I ended up in the biocontainment room. The whole biocontainment wing of the medicine, Nebraska Medicine, was set up right after 9-11 when the anthrax scare hit. They never used it for anthrax. Fifteen years later, they used it for the first time with the Ebola outbreak. There were patients there. Then I was patient number two set up now for corona. In that room was like a scene out of the Andromeda strain. No one entered without full hazmat suits looking like Neil Armstrong landing on the moon with air pumps behind them. They, I had two cameras on me at all times, two video monitors so I can communicate back to central command. I was hooked up to monitors. The uh, doors and windows were all specially sealed. So I was in there like a fish inside an aquarium. I did get to spend my 67th birthday there in bed alone. And then the funny thing is, it's not so funny, but there's absolutely no cure for the virus right now. So all they could do was give me a little bit of ibuprofen for a fever that I no longer had, just to make sure it didn't come back. And then I've written about this in my journal, gallons and gallons of Gatorade. I've been through every (laughs) flavor of Gatorade multiple amounts of times. Carl, what was the first thing that you did when you finally got home and if you can comment kind of on what you've seen now that you've gotten back, obviously, we you know, people making runs on the grocery store, toilet paper and cleaning supplies out of stock all over the place. Comment on that if you can also. Sure. And I think people just need to calm down and realize that for 80 percent of the folks, this thing is not going to be that serious. Get a good digital thermometer. We're getting to springtime. Allergies are going to hit. So don't freak out with a little sniffle or a cough. Take your temperature because in 99% of the cases I'm aware of, the virus hits very, very fast with the fever, and that seems to be the common denominator for everyone. When I landed off the plane in Los Angeles, a friend of mine picked me up, and he had gotten a giant container of my favorite ice cream, Cold Stones, peanut butter and chocolate. So I dug into that, not realizing how much I missed it, all those two months away. So that was fun. Then, of course, get coming home, seeing my wife, hugging her, and seeing my dogs, letting them lick me for many, many minutes. And that was just an ultimate delight. I think quarantine for everybody now in this craziness, the best thing to do is not stress. Take it one day at a time. Don't look back at the past. Don't make up fantasies about what the future is going to be like. Just live for the present and make lemonade out of lemons. My wife looked at her quarantine. She never got the virus, which is weird. She came home about two and a half weeks ago and has been running our radio station. She looks now back at her quarantine as a gift for many, many reasons. I've only been home two days, so I'm not quite seeing it as a gift yet. But I did realize that the number one chore that I hated, cleaning up the dog poop, is no longer something that I hate. I actually look at it and say, hey, it's cool that I'm able to do this now. <laughs> well, Carl, thank you very much for joining us. I, I'm happy that you are healthy and you are over this now and you can get back to your normal life again. Carl Goldman, owner of KHTS Radio, hometownstation.com. Thank you very much for joining us. You got it. Thank you. Take care. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, 
and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. <laughs>